Corinthians chapter 10. been in series for a while and it, we've not gone service by service with it. For instance, on Sunday, of course, both messages on Sunday came out of the book of Acts. We were not in Corinthians. And then, uh, but following through so that we can be taught what we need out of the book. And the series is entitled Truth for Today, Corinthians Truth for Today. And uh, this evening, very simple message, but uh, uh, feel very much of a need to get it to us and kind of slow us down. Uh, My duty tonight, my privilege both, is to cause us to slow down and consider God's majesty and the foolishness of idols. Um, We continue in our Corinthian series. We're naturally led by the text into these these two things that we're talking about here tonight. And that is tonight's title. is the majesty of God and the foolishness of idols. And uh, they're contrasted, and I want you to see it. I was uh, a couple of different things I was thinking about at the end of 1 Corinthians 10. I don't know if I was going to go on into 1 Corinthians 11 or what I was going to do, but I, I uh, could not go past this clear teaching that was given so much emphasis in the Bible. So let's look in 1 Corinthians 13. And tonight, we're just going to slow down and look what the Bible says. We're going, people who have an appetite for the Bible are going to enjoy what they're fed tonight as we look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and look. If you will, in verse 13, we finished on that the last time we were in Corinthians. We dealt with that as far as there's no temptation taken you. But I want us to start at that verse. It says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Remember, we learned about the startling discovery of a common deliverance and we were taught about this. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And uh, it said that the problem is not the point of breakdown. The problem is the point of of giving in is what happens with temptation. We dealt with these things the last time we were in Corinthians. But I want you to look, if you notice the phrase at the end of verse 13, it says, well, with the temptation, make a way to do what, church? Talk to me. To make way to do what? Escape. I'll wake you all up. When it gets dark early, first couple of services where it's dark in the evening, it's funny. It's like, it's like clockwork. Pardon, pardon the, the pun there. But it is. Everybody comes in and they're just a little bit like this. So uh, he makes a way to do what? Yeah, there we go. I thought you all had escaped for a moment there. And uh, he will make a way to escape. Now, one of the issues with which they dealt in the, the city of Corinth was the issue of idolatry. Um, many of the people who got saved came out of different types of idolatry. It wasn't that Corinth was not a religious city. Corinth was a lost city. And it had many much religion, but it was, it was worshiping of false gods. And uh, so they were, a, they were by, by and large a spiritual people. By the way, that's why when we get over and start finding out that there are some questions and problems with different gifts that God gives through His Spirit so that we can serve God, and they, they were taking some of those and distorting them and things going on. We'll find out all about that. Not tonight, but we will find out about it. Um, we find out that one reason why they ended up in that problem is because they were a spiritual people. Now, you understand that a, that a witch is a spiritual person. It's just dealing with evil spirits. 
you do understand that a wizard is a spiritual person. But it's not God's Spirit. You do understand someone who imbibes in New Age doctrine and teaching, someone who's a Hindu, someone who follows uh, multiple gods. Um, do you understand that they are a spiritual person? So somebody says, I'm a spiritual person, that doesn't mean anything. Not anything specific, and it could mean something bad. In fact, the Bible says, sometimes people say, well, I believe in God. And I've more than a few times when I'm witnessing to somebody and it's obvious that they're not believing on the Lord or maybe not open to the Gospel, and they say, I believe in God. I quote to them verse out of the Bible. Uh, the devil, and Satan himself also believes in God. The devils themselves believe in God. And do what? Does anybody know? Tremble, right. They believe in God. You don't have one human being on this earth that believes in God stronger than the devil does. He knows about it. But that doesn't mean that he's yielded to him. doesn't mean that he's following him. And so these people were coming out of a background that was religious. Corinth was a religious town. And, uh, and so they had some things that, were, that came in because of these false religions that they had to deal with. Um, Brother Carter, who's, who's in Japan, one of the things they have to deal with there is ancestor worship. They literally worship their ancestors. <laughs> you just about get that in Kentucky and West Virginia, by the way. Amen? I mean, uh, if a preacher gets up and reads out of the Bible something contrary to what their grandpappy had always said about it, that preacher just might as well give it up because the fact is, uh, that ain't the way Pappy said it. Now, even more so, if you're really from down in those areas, like my family is, and uh, if, 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 if your grandma said it. Now, that really settles it, you know? And uh, so, anyway, um, <laughs> I have lots of funny thoughts there. I'll leave all of them alone. That's probably better. But when we look at this, we find that he says that God's made a way to escape temptation. Escape all sorts of temptation. Now, one way does it look in verse 14. Referring back to these things, it says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, these are people he cares about, he uses the word flee. Flee from idolatry. You know what the word flee means, don't you? It means get out of there. It means run. It doesn't mean just casually leave the room. It means go. You know, gone. You're like the old man that had three little doors for cats and his had three little doors in his one door. And somebody looked at him and said, Why'd you put three doors in that door? And he said, I have three cats. And he said, uh, well, can they all go out one door? He says, when I say scat, I mean scat. He went those cats gone when he said it. And and that's the way they flee, get away, run. You know, get do it. Yeah, I'll be like Joseph. Joseph said he got him out. You know, suppose he said to Potiphar's wife, oh, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't do this. I just have to leave. And it went like that. He ran away so fast, she grabbed his, grabbed his coat, which tells the kind of woman she was, and he took off and left that thing behind. Why? He was getting out. And so he said, you got to flee from idolatry. Now, isn't that amazing? They're in a city surrounded with idolatry. In fact, up on the ridges of the city and up in prominent areas where they could be seen were different idols. I mean, very, very large edifices to idols and idol worship was throughout the city. It had things to do with the meat markets and it had things to do with what people ate and what their festivals were and all of that. And he said, you flee. And by the way, he didn't say you have to move out of Corinth and you have to get away from this region. He said, you've got to flee idolatry. You have to get away from it yourself. So let's go on and look at the rest of this here. He said, wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. And we're talking here about the majesty of God and the foolishness of idols. Then he goes into detail with them, reasoning with them, uh, as God would have him do. 
He said, I speak as to wise men. Judge ye what I say. So he said, now I'm going to talk to people who want to learn. The cup of blessing which we bless is not is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? He is talking specifically there about taking the Lord's Supper. That's what he's talking about. And you come through and received instruction about earlier. But the cup of blessing that we bless is this not the communion of the blood of Christ? The word communion, we tend to think of the word communion as meaning that action of taking the Lord's Supper within a church. That's not a misapplication of the word, but the word communion, the reason why that's called communion is because of what the word communion means. The word communion means that we've come together in one heart, in one direction, and we have chosen to fellowship and be at one with each other. That's that's the concept of communion. By the way, the root word for communication is there. And, and those things. And so what happens here, he makes a statement. Now he's talking to people, a lot of them saved out of this idolatry. By the word of God, he's telling them to flee from the idolatry and he makes a statement. The cup of blessing, which we bless, is it not the communion of the what? Look at, open book test, the what? Blood of Christ. Now, it's not only the blood of Christ that gives them communion as believers. They have this common thing. But it literally is the communion of the blood of Christ. We have communion with God. We have fellowship with God because of the blood of Christ. The Bible teaches clearly that we were one time we were afar off. We were called aliens. We were outside the commonwealth of Israel. We were without hope and without God in this world. But because of the blood of Christ, ye that sometimes were far off are made nigh. Right up together. Because of the blood of Christ. Let's continue on. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, continuing further with this, talking about the Lord's Supper, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And that's all explained and we've dealt in detail with that. For we being many are one bread and one body. He's saying we're brought together in the oneness because of this. For we are all partakers of that one bread. Then he makes a statement. Behold Israel after the flesh. So those are they who descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name, of course, being changed to Israel. And then his 12 sons were the 12 tribes of Israel. And so behold Israel after the flesh. Are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers with the altar? Very quickly explain to simply to you what that is. When the priests, they, they received their living from what was brought into the house of God and what was brought, to be, uh, brought in as a sacrifice to the house of God and for the service of God. Because what they did, they, didn't, they weren't allowed to own the farming land and they weren't able to do that. They were to give their whole time to taking care of the things of God and the, the, the praise and the services and the offering of sacrifices and the teaching of the Word of God and all that. That was their full-time occupation. So when the tithe of the people came in, not only was the place where these things were offered, not only were all the instruments that had to be involved with taking care of them, not only was all that to be cared for, but those who also ministered to the entire, the term that's used in the Bible, congregation, the other 11 tribes of Israel, those people were to live from the tithe 
of the, uh, uh, that was brought in because because of their full-time occupation attending to the worship and the teaching and instructing the Word of God to the people, they were not able to go farm and do all the things other people did to take care of themselves. And so what happened was when someone brought a, a gift to the altar, the priest also received part of that. So they were partakers with the altar. In other words, there's a communion there showing. There's that, there's that fellowship showing there with that. And, and look what it says. It says, uh, verse 18 again, Behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then? Now, think about this for a minute. That the idol is anything? Or that which is offered and sacrificed to idols is anything? Suppose you brought a suppose you brought an image of some idol into this room. Maybe it was one of the Catholic saints. Maybe it was supposed to be Mary. Maybe it was supposed to be an image of Jesus. Maybe it was supposed to be a Buddha. Whatever. Doesn't matter. It's an idol. And, and you've got this little idol. Maybe it's made out of plaster of Paris. All right? That's a French idol. And, uh, and you have that there. Maybe, maybe it's made out of gold. Maybe it's made out of whatever. He says, it's, it's nothing. It's just, it's, it's like that's made out of metal. This is made out of wood. You know, sometimes preachers will refer, and I, I don't mind it, they refer to the pulpit as the sacred desk. This is made out of oak wood. Like that floor is made out of oak wood. Like that flooring, which is what that actually is, up on those beams is made out of oak wood. Like that trim is made out of oak wood. Uh, like uh, some people's heads are made out of oak wood. This, this is all this is. Why is it called sacred? Because of what happens with it. It's a place where the Word of God's taught. It's a place where central focus for the teaching of the Word of God is in this church. And so uh, that's what it's about. He says, idols, nothing. Not at all. But watch what happens. Listen, listen to how it teaches us. And by the way, this is reinforced from some earlier teaching, and God repeated it within just a little while there in Corinthians. So I said, better pay attention to that and get that out again. Verse, verse two, 20, But I say that the things which the, gentri the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice... To devils and not to God. He said, here's the problem. It's not the wood and the gold and that of the, of the idol. It's what that represents. And those things that are being worshipped or prayed to so that they can pray to God for you, which is what some of the teaching is, <laughs> those things are, you're not dealing with God, you're dealing with devils. It is always the work of the devil to take worship, prayer, and praise away from God and put it on anything else. Look what the clear Scripture says. He's teaching these folks. Can you imagine how revolutionary this was in a city like Corinth? Can you imagine what opposition you may have gotten? Suppose somebody came into their congregation first time there and they hear this talk. Think that might have caused a stir? Oh yeah, it did. And so he says, verse 20 again, I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. He's talking about the communion, the saying. He said, you're not supposed to fellowship with devils. It's not okay. You can't blend. You can't. You, there's no. There's no point of point of common contact there. Then look in verse 21 and see how strongly the Lord puts it. 
Look at the word that he used. Ye cannot, ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. And these are, we've already defined, the cup of the Lord, dealing with the Lord's Supper and that sort of thing. The cup of devils, ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. And so, dealing with people who maybe they would go, uh, they would be there at the church and they would take the Lord's Supper and then they would go out to some idolatrous service. They would go to some place where sacrifices were done, where idols were worshipped. And he said, you cannot do both. You cannot do both. One of the banes, one of the bad influences and bad things in mission work in many nations is a thing called syncretization. And that's where when people come in preaching about Jesus Christ, if they're not clear on preaching repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that the people who have multiple gods and worship different things will just take Jesus on as an additional God to their pantheon of gods, if you will. It may not be Greek people, but they, they have that concept. They have this God, and they have this God, and they worship this. Or they say, well, we worship nature. And what you're saying, God's just another name for nature. That is a heathen, wicked teaching. God is not another name for nature. Hey, look up here, Disney crowd. God is not another name for nature. A living force is not another name for God. Pure heathen idolatry. We believe in God transcendent. You say, what does that mean? That means God is beyond His creation and above His creation. He is not the sum total of His creation. I won't even go into this because it goes too deep, but even if you were going biblically, philosophically, it's ignorant to think that something can be the sum of what it's created. I'll let some of you who think deeply to think on that. It's as, it's as much folly as the self-made man. <laughs> Anything you make of necessity has to be less than yourself or you could not have made it. But the crazy thing is, people just add it in there. And that's why you run into people, good old here in Lancaster, Ohio, and uh, you know, about the most cosmopolitan thing about us is the fact we got some new stores, you know. <laughs> Not a whole lot, you know. Well, there is a whole lot of idolatry coming in. It's getting stronger. But, but let me tell you something about, about what goes on. Here's the way people do it here. Well, you know, I've been pretty good. And I got baptized. And I've always tried to pay my bills. I'm, right now, I'm telling you all stuff I've heard, not just once or twice. And I try to take care of my family. And I believe in Jesus as my Savior. That's just as much synchronization as any. Body going in and trying to attach the, the, the word to worship of Jesus Christ to the worship of their ancestors. Because what you're worshiping is yourself. And saying, oh, I got all this and I'm pretty good, but I'll tag Jesus on too, just in case. That's what it boils down to. A person who thinks that way has never come to grips with their actual lost condition and does not understand what salvation by grace is. And that grace and works by nature cancel each other as a means of salvation. That's why Romans said, otherwise, grace is no more grace. And if it works, then works. Uh, and if it be of grace, there's no more works. And if it be of works, there's no more of grace. Why? Because if it's works, it can't be grace. And if it's grace, guess what? It can't be works. And so what happens here, he said, you cannot, 
Do both. Somebody says, well, I'm a saved Hindu. No, you're not. You're a lost Hindu. If you claim Hinduism and belief in multiple gods, you are by definition lost. If I know I'm saved, I joined the Baptist church. By definition, if that's your profession of faith, you're lost Baptist. You may be Baptist born and Baptist bred, but you're going to hell when you're Baptist dead because you didn't accept Christ. All you had was Baptist. And let me clue you in on something. Can I clue you in on something that I've learned over 40 years of studying the Bible? God's not impressed. Really isn't. Holy Spirit doesn't come by our sign out there and go, whoa, that's Baptist. <laughs> I am one on purpose. In my own youthful way, it seemed like a lot at the time. Now I look back in retrospect, it doesn't seem like a lot. It cost me something to be one. And not by any means of persecution and stuff, but in my young, I mean, it was, you know, I, I'm a preacher and I was getting to preach and I was used to preach and suddenly I wasn't allowed to preach it in the places where I'd been. So it wasn't just something, oh, let's try that. But I'm going to tell you something, it's Christ that's the answer. So he says these things. Let's go on down with this then. It says, uh, verse 22, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. In other words, they don't serve a purpose. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So some things I'm allowed to do, I don't do because they don't serve a good purpose. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. By the way, don't misinterpret that scripture and think that you need to take some of his money. It's talking about wealth. It's talking about that you look out for what is the good of others. You try to be helpful to them. That's what that means, all right? Verse 25, you're going to encounter a word here called the word shambles. And it has to do with eating. And I know some of you all think you've sat down to that before, right? Just maybe the cooking was subpar or something like that. But the word shambles is a word that dealt with the meat markets or the butcher areas. That's what that word is. And it dealt with the areas where the meat was sold in the city of Corinth. My wife got the pleasurable experience of going to market in Haiti where they were getting the flies off the meat and cutting a hunk off and selling it to you and seeing what all went on with that sort of stuff. You'd never ever complain about wilty lettuce at Kroger again if you saw that. You just wouldn't. Uh, may not buy it, but you wouldn't complain about it. And uh, they, the shambles could have good meat cuts and good things, but it's that open air type thing in the markets and going on. I'm not saying it was all bad and putrefied, but there was a lot of things going there, and you don't know for sure what meat you would be getting. You know, uh, you don't know maybe maybe a person who had had a Jewish background because there were some Jewish converts in this church. Maybe they didn't know if this you know had pork or had pork in it or something like that. And uh, maybe you didn't know if this person was an idolater that had the, that had the booth. Maybe they you know, worshipped whatever idol. So this is what they dealt with. It's like you go in, you go to buy something from somebody. Maybe you go to buy a car. Maybe, maybe the owner of that car lot's just as heathen as they can be. You're not, there to, you're not there to embrace his religion. You're there to buy a car. You see what I'm saying? This is a reality God's people have always dealt with. So let's see how it works out here. Let's see what God gave us some, some example here for it, all right? It says... Uh, Look in verse uh, 25. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles. I've explained that to you. That eat. Asking no question for conscience sake. He said, you're saved by the grace of God. It's not going to hurt you spiritually. It may hurt you intestinally according to what it is, but it's not going to hurt you spiritually. 
For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. However, that little piggy got to market. That little piggy belonged to the Lord and he said it's to be received with thanksgiving. He really did. Verse 27, look how practical this is. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, so they ask you to come over to grab a meal or something going on there, and you be disposed to go. You want to go. Whatsoever is set before you eat, asking no question for conscience sake. He's teaching these young believers. You go ahead and you eat. You're fine with that. Uh, there's not going to be a problem. But, but, if any man say unto you, and this was common in their culture, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols. See, it was, a, it was a religious thing. Hey, we offered this to the idols before we gave it to you. It's extra good meat. Look what it says. If any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it. And for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Then he gives out the question that may be asked. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. In other words, the person who said that. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? He said, why, why am I judged about what someone else has said or believed there? Verse 30. For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that for which I give thanks? Verse 31. A lot of people know this verse, but they know it as a standalone verse. And it's in context of the entire chapter. I wish I had time to develop all that. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Let's finish the rest of that statement. Giving none offense. You don't cause anybody to stumble. Giving none offense. Now look at the three that are mentioned. Neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. He said, here's the problem. You walked in, you sat down in this house. He said, we offered this meat to idols. If you made that statement to him, it may not have been meant as a mean statement, so forgive my term a little bit, but it is an in-your-face statement. And I know that has a mean connotation to it, but it's a very bold up front. Hey, this is offered to idols. And they know you're a believer. They ask you to come. There's things people ask you to do. You may get invited to a family get-together or something, and everything you may be able to do it all right, but they may step into doing something, whatever, and they say, hey, you're going to do this. And you know what they're doing? They are watching what you're doing. Some may be taunting you, to try draw you out. Others may just be watching to see if this Christianity makes any difference. And if you're just like anybody else and go along with what you know is not scriptural, then the only conclusion they can logically come to, whether it's right or not, but if they don't have a Bible basis or anything, the only conclusion logic can take them to is that Christianity is just religion. They don't really affect what you believe because you're not dead. Now, if their cousin, whoever, says they're a vegan, they're not going to eat the sausage. If they really are one, God help them. Um, I mean, that seriously, because there's a philosophy attached to that. But I don't care if you're vegetarian or vegan, something different. And if they, uh, but if if they are, and somebody says, hey, offer them meatloaf. Everybody says, they're not going to take that meatloaf. 
They will do this. No, they're not going to do that. Why? They're vegan. And you know what? They do. Yeah. Can, can they say that about Christianity? It, it, it's, a, it's a good thing when serious people in your family who are not trying to taunt you because they're just unreasonable. You, you get whatever from them. But people who are serious know ahead of time and say, no, you know, so -so, no, that's not what they do. They don't do that. And they may have the thing we're defending. Oh, they're a church person. Yeah, that they did. They got religion. Yeah. Okay. They may not know how to word it, but hopefully what they've seen is there is a certain way that you live. Hopefully you didn't walk into the gathering. Oh, I'll tell you why you're all heathens. You know? <laughs> Great. And then you just revealed to us why you still are too, by the way you did that. But the thing is that we would actually stand and say, no, nothing. I won't be part of that. That's what the Bible just said. Because of their conscience. Because they need to understand there's a distinction between the true and living God and the false God that they need to understand there's a difference between holy and unholy. And the way we do that is we try to follow the Lord and stay close to Him with it. The foolishness of idolatry and the majesty of God. We go with me quickly to Isaiah chapter 44. I save this because talk about a passage that just doesn't need the feeble attempts of my commentary on it. Isaiah chapter 44. Talking about the majesty of God and the foolishness of idolatry. The Bible just commanded New Testament believers, didn't it, to flee from idolatry. We had learned in another place in Corinthians that covetousness is idolatry. Say, so what? How's that become an idol? Because you become the idol because of covetousness. Because covetousness says, what God has provided for me is not enough, I deserve more. What God has allowed me to get with whatever means I've employed into getting them that are honest and right is not enough. I deserve more. I should have more. I should have nicer. And it's not the kind of thing of you deciding, okay, I, maybe I want a little nicer house or a larger house for my family. Maybe I want a little better vehicle that runs better or something. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be wise. I'm going to use some stewardship. I'm going to work and I'm going to apply and I'm going to advance that. That's biblical. But the covetousness is, well, I deserve better. I've told you before, one way you can tell how covetousness is getting a root in is if you can't rejoice when other people are blessed. That's a really bad sign. When you can't rejoice when someone else is blessed, that's a really bad sign. And so covetousness says, I deserve more. It's idolatry. It's self-worship, really, is what it is. I just beat on that microphone. I bet that sounded good. Okay, Isaiah chapter 44. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. Isaiah 44. Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the watercourses. One shall say, I am the Lord's. And another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. And another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. 
Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last. And beside me there is no God. And who, as I, shall call and shall declare it, and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people, and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that, that time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God, I know not any. They that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit. And they are their own witnesses. They see not, nor know, that they may be ashamed. Who hath formed a God, or a molten graven image, that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his fellows shall be ashamed, and the workmen, they are of men, let them all be gathered together, let them stand up, yea, they shall fear, and they shall be ashamed together. The smith with the tongs both worketh in the coals, and fashioneth it with hammers, and worketh it with the strength of his arms. Yea, he is hungry, and his strength faileth. He drinketh no water, and is faint. The carpenter stretcheth out his rule, he marketh it out with a line, he fitteth it with planes, and he marketh it out with the compass, and maketh it after the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in his house. He heweth him down cedars, and taketh the cypress, and the oak, which he strengtheneth for himself among the trees of the forest. He planteth an ash, and the rain doth nourish it. Then shall it be for a man to burn, for he will take thereof, and warm himself. Yea, he kindleth it, and baketh bread. Yea, he maketh a god, and worshipeth it. He maketh a graven image, and falleth down there, there too. He burneth part thereof in the fire, which part thereof he eateth flesh. He roasteth roast, and is satisfied. Yea, he warmeth himself, and saith, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. In the residue thereof he maketh a god, even his graven image. He falleth down into it, and worshipeth it, and prayeth unto it, and saith, Deliver me, for thou art my God. They have not known nor understood, for he hath shut their eyes that they cannot see, and their hearts that they cannot understand. And none considereth in his heart, neither is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I've burned part of it in the fire. Yea, also I have baked bread upon the coals thereof. I have roasted flesh and eaten it. Shall I make the residue thereof an abomination? And shall I fall down to the stock of a tree? He feedeth on ashes. A deceived heart hath turned him aside, that it cannot deliver his soul, that he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee. Thou art my servant. O Israel, thou shalt not be forgotten of me. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains. 
O forest and every tree therein, for the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified Himself in the Lord, in Israel rather. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, and He that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, and spreadeth abroad the earth by Myself, that frustrateth the tokens of the liars, and maketh diviners mad, that turneth wise men backward, and maketh their knowledge foolish, that confirmeth the word of His servant, and performeth the counsel of His messengers, that saith to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be inhabited, and to the cities of Judah ye shall be built, and I will raise up the decayed places thereof, that saith to the deep, Be dry, and I will dry up thy rivers, that saith to Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. There's a majesty to God, and there is a foolishness to idolatry. God put it out plain in this chapter. He said, You do all these good things with the tree which is at my creation, and then you worship it. You make the God. In another place in Isaiah, he said that they had to carry their God. They couldn't speak, couldn't see, couldn't hear. When the Apostle Paul preached on, on uh, Mars Hill in Athens, which is a uh, prominence there on the Acropolis, and he was there where other philosophers and such had taught, he talked to them about the unknown God. And he said, seeing that we are the offspring of God, we shouldn't think that he couldn't see and couldn't hear. Why? That doesn't make sense. We can see, we can think, we can breathe, we can hear, we can talk. And the God in whose image we were made is that kind of God. He's a living God. There's a majesty to God. There's idolatry. That foolishness of it. And it's not just people in some faraway land setting up for some little image or some kind of little fetish they have. It's anyone who exalts in their heart somebody, whether it be their self, their children, their spouse, or something above the God of heaven. And the Bible's clear. In the book of John, it said, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let me pray with you tonight. Father, thank You for Your words. Thank You for the majesty that You reveal of Yourself. Help us to be a people who are yielded to You and who are serious about following You. Bless, please, Your people with a, an awe of You and of Your Word. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together tonight. And I've just given you a lot of Bible tonight. Maybe there's something you need to speak to the Lord about with it. I invite you to come as we have a song invitation, please.